hide ourselves. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to let somebody see who we really are. Uh, and, um, but we long for it, to be accepted, to be known and to be accepted. We long for that relationship that's going to put us in the place where uh, we're okay. We're safe. Somebody knows me and they accept me uh, at the same time. Now, when it comes down to being really accepted and known, the ultimate, although it's not very attractive to us in some senses, is that is God. Nobody knows you like God does. Nobody knows the good, the bad, the ugly about you like God does. Nobody knows the stuff that you're really not even comfortable with thinking about yourself. But as his child, God accepts you. Ephesians 1 verse 6 as we start tonight. Actually, we'll read down to there, right? Ephesians 1 verse Chapter, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Doesn't that sound exciting? That we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Right now... <clears throat> Let me just a couple of points here for you as we go through this. You know, when we talk about us being chosen, right? You need to be careful what we're chosen to. When it talks about being elect, you always need to watch what it is that we're elect to. When we're not denying the doctrine of election, it's in the Bible, it's there. But very often when you look at the wording, it's not talking about what, it, what people say it's talking about at all. We are not chosen unto salvation in, the, in that sense. Look what we're chosen here. Uh, <clears throat> According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What are we chosen to there? Chosen to holiness, not to salvation. That's talking about being chosen to holiness. That's talking about believers being chosen to holiness. All right? um, <clears throat> having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. What were we predestinated unto there? Adoption of children. We were predestinated unto, unto the adoption of children. Now, verse 6 is where we're going. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, that's a wonderful phrase, accepted in the Beloved. We sing the, sing the song, in the Beloved, accepted am I. Now, we need to grapple with this because one of the problems that we're constantly hitting when it comes to being accepted in the Beloved uh, is that we want our acceptance with skin on. We want someone with skin on to accept us. And we're inclined to put aside the one that truly does accept us and has made us accepted in the Beloved in favor of finding somebody with skin on to accept us. And when you do that, it's idolatry. And when you do that, it's always going to fail. That's not to say that God doesn't intend for us to have rich human relationship. He does. But no human relationship is ever supposed to replace Him. Ever. He doesn't intend it to be that way. He intends the richest relationship you have to be with Him. Okay, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all 
thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. He wants to be the number one relationship in your life, bar none. And it's not just a one-way deal. It's a two-way deal. He wants to be the one meeting your need. He wants to be the one that you feel accepted by. But constantly, what I hear people saying is, yeah, I know, but I need... And really what they're saying, yeah, I know, but I need this. And it's like a child who's pushing away their dinner and saying, yeah, but I need crisps. I need sweets. I'm hungry for sweets right now, not for dinner. We need to understand that God wants us to be accepted in Him and to live in that relationship as being... Let's have a word of prayer and let's go look at this tonight. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless us now, Lord. Would you help us as we look to your word, Lord? Help us to uh, truly, Lord, lay hold and grapple with this idea of being accepted in the beloved. And we'll thank you and praise you and give you the glory in Jesus' name. All right, now... I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to help me here tonight, and we're going to work our way through this. Why does God accept you? Okay, why does He love you? Does Lucas, why does He love you? Okay, we're His creation, right? Now, um, when we say we're His creation, uh, does He love us because we're a good creation or bad creation? One. Is in his own image. Is that why he loves us? Think about it. Is that why he loves us? He loves us because we're made in his own image. He just looks at us and he says, Wow, they're just like me. <laughs> you know, is, that, is that why he loves us? It didn't, listen, it started off that way. And I think the relationship between him, him and Adam was like that. It was just a, you know, a connection there. But sin marred all that. Sin wrecked all that. Yeah, it's still there, but it's under all the muck. Why does he love us? He tells us he loves us. Why? It's about as good an answer as we're going to get. Because he wants okay. He loves us because we received Jesus. But <clears throat> what you're going to, here's what we've really got to grapple with, and it's totally outside of our experience and totally outside our understanding is he loves us not based upon anything in us. His love for us is not connected to us in the sense that he loves us because we are such and such. Because, you know, when he died for you, you were lost in sin. He loves us because he loves us. Charles Wesley wrote the song and he said, He hath loved us, he hath loved us because he would love. Now, folks, that just doesn't fit. We don't do that one. We're not able. There's always the give and take in love. You know, there's always for us, you know, we love because someone does something for us. We love because someone appeals to something in us. You know, we love for reasons. God doesn't. God loves you. God's love for us is this wild, extravagant demonstration of love. Just out there, love. He just, he just loves us. Right? Not based upon anything we've done. Now, it's very important that we get that point. right? <clears throat> it's very important that we understand in salvation, He didn't save us because He loved us. It's very important that we understand that because 
you know, we, we often hear there's two religions in the world. There's the done religion and the, uh, the do religion. And really there is. But if we're the done religion, he didn't save us because of anything we did. He saved us because he loved us, and he loved us because he decided to love us. We gave him ample reason to destroy us, to destroy the world, to destroy everything in us, and he still chose to love us. Anthony? Well, the reality is this, though, that God displays what we consider to be negative, wrath, anger. You know, the, you know, uh, wrath so great that he wants to destroy Israel. So we can't put him in a box like that. It's not in his nature to love sin, by the way. It's not in his nature to love people who are rebels against him. He loves us because he chose to. It's a, it's a volitional thing. Do you understand that? That your love, your, your sin, stirs the anger of God so that his instant response would be to destroy it. But he doesn't. He's long-suffering. You know, understand that, that God's instant reaction to sin is always to destroy, because it's an offense to him. But instead of destroying, he's long-suffering. He kind of sucks it up, holding it back, because he wants us to be saved, and he wants us to have a chance, uh, and he wants us to love him. But... <clears throat> Going back to where where we were, right? Okay, we need to understand that in salvation, there was nothing in me that made God love me. Right? Now, we need also to understand that since salvation, it's not what's in me. It's not what's in me. He doesn't love me because I do right. Because I'm a pastor and I've given my life to preaching the gospel and so on. So God loves me because I'm a pastor. All right? Well, what in the morning if I wasn't a pastor anymore? Would God love me less? You've got to understand that because here's what we have. We have a meritorious thinking. Everything in life we earn. And we know that. Everything in life you have to go out, you make it happen, you earn, you, you, you deserve it for one reason or another. And when it comes to God, we're really not comfortable if we can't earn his love. We want to have a reason for it. We want to be able to say, well, this is why he loved me. Now, the problem with this is why he loves me is if I ever lose that, I lose his love. And the blessing of an unconditional love is that I can never lose it. Now, that will do more for you in your life than any amount of merit you might build up with God. Understanding that his love is without merit. His love is unconditional. His love is for me because he chose to love me. And that's one of the greatest thoughts the world has ever had. That God loves me because he didn't earn it and I can't lose it. God loves me because he would love me. We have lots of people that walk out of this place and and, um, walk away from God and do their own thing. Does God love them less? Let me ask you another question. Do we love them less? Isn't it true that you know, our, you know, in our economy, you know, well, they walked out, so therefore, that's it. God doesn't love them less because they walked out. And what does happen in the relationship with God? 
You know, you're there praying and you're praying, Lord, just, just if he's not going to do right, Lord, kill him. And how often has God done that? <clears throat> he doesn't do that one. Now, why doesn't he do that one? Because he loves the individual and he wants to help them. And you understand that? Listen, God doesn't respond like that. It, <clears throat> his nature would be, but if he started responding like that, he'd probably get you too. Because he has plenty of reason. But he doesn't do it because he loves. Alright? So... <clears throat> We've got to understand this love relationship that we're, we're in is um, it's an unconditional love. It's really secure. Really secure in this relationship. Um, so God's unconditional acceptance. Um, God coming to earth. Remember the, the overall topic that we're looking at is the incarnation. God coming to earth is not based on anything you have done or could do in the future. It is purely the result of his grace. Right? So it is purely the result of his grace. It's not based on anything you have done or will do. And look, I appreciate that you have a hard time working that out in your head. So do I. But it's key truth for life. Right? <clears throat> Buddhism, uh, Buddhists explain that a person must go through countless cycles of reincarnation to reach what is called nirvana, which is essentially a state of personal oblivion. And when they reach nirvana, they cease to exist. They've arrived. Right? You know, <clears throat> but the problem for them is they go through all these cycles of reincarnation. Now, what are they doing in all these cycles of reincarnation? Earning good karma and earning bad karma, getting themselves closer to nirvana or further away from nirvana. Right? <clears throat> now look, they earn it out there. They earn their acceptance. Um... <clears throat> Islam teaches that Muslims that they must work very hard to qualify for rewards that Allah may choose to give them. Imagine even the, the Muslim practice of having to pray five times a day. Is, is it four o'clock in the morning Muslims get up to pray? Five? Five o'clock in the morning. So imagine, guys, if we, listen, if we, you know, if we change, right? So every morning, five o'clock, we want you on, your, on the floor facing Mecca and praying in the hopes that you can earn the favor and the acceptance of Allah. Um, <clears throat> you see, again, it's, it, it, it's something that is to be earned. Mormons declare that grace is obtained only after a person does all he or she can do to receive salvation. So you work your hardest out and God will make up the difference. And, and we could go through all the religions of the world and basically we're going to find that common thread in them. They're all about earning it. So understand, Christianity is uniquely different. You're not right. <clears throat> Christianity teaches that humans are helpless and can do nothing to merit salvation. It is God who takes the initiative to reach his enemies. Right? Um, Romans 5.10, what does it say? Romans 5.10 says, God commandeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean to be a sinner? thought in being a sinner is to be an enemy of God. When Christ died for you, you were his enemy. You effectively, one way or another, had decided you were going to live your life and do your thing and nobody was going to tell you what to do. Certainly not God. And you, you, know, you may never have verbalized it like that, but that was the attitude of your life. That's the attitude that we live with. We were, going, we were going to do our own thing. Now, let's reason this thing through. 
Um, when it comes to the fact that um, everyone else says you should earn it in one way or another, and Christianity says you can't earn it, which is the more reasonable? Well, okay, let me, let me, let me rephrase the question. Which is the more reasonable logically to us? What, what, is, what, is your, what was your first reaction to the gospel? Ridiculously easy. You see, reasoning it through, how can you get something for nothing? How, can, how could you get something so great and give nothing? Now, let's reason it through spiritually or biblically. Okay? In order for you to be saved, if you had to earn it, what would you have to do? Like, be perfect. Okay? Be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, how much of your life would you have to be perfect for? All of your life. So you'd have to be perfect for all of your life to earn salvation. We're on a losing deal there, aren't we? You know, all of us know that we can't be that perfect. I, I remember as a child coming down, bawling, crying uh, to my mother and telling her I didn't want to go to hell. My earliest, one of my earliest memories, certainly my earliest spiritual memory. I can't come down crying and telling her I don't want to go to hell. And my mom turned around to me and she said to me, well, if you're good, you won't go to hell. And she wasn't being glib. She was telling me the truth. As she saw it. If you're good, you won't go to hell. I can remember the sinking feeling. As a child, I understood I couldn't be good. That, was, that wasn't going to happen. That was impossible. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. You know, we can't be good. We can't be perfect. We have all this sin. How are we going to deal with it? But right now, you come to church tonight and you, get, and, and you get it. You finally get it. You say, oh no, sin is bad. It's wrong. It's terrible. I shouldn't do it. From now on. I'm going to do right. I'm going to live right. I'm going to be right. I'm never going to do anything wrong. That's hopeless. But we'll say that that's your resolve. What are you going to do with all the sin you've committed up to now? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to go and erase all that? How are you going to go get rid of it? Just Here's the reality. And this is the humbling reality for us. Is we're hopeless. Absolutely hopeless without God. You know, it's not like, you know, we got some things wrong and uh, some things right, you know. <clears throat> We're kind of nice people. We just slipped a few times. We're not nice people that slipped a few times. We're hopeless people. They haven't got a chance. There's, there's no possibility of us being righteous or, or getting to heaven. None. And when you think of it in those terms, Christianity makes very good sense. It's very reasonable. I absolutely can't. It's impossible for me. Lord, if you don't, I'm finished. The Old Testament law, Galatians tells us, was a schoolmaster to mean that it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Pardon? Okay, shows the way schoolmaster to bring us shows the way to Christ, right? Now <clears throat> what about the Old Testament Jew? What was he thinking in his mind? Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to keep the commandments. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to keep the commandments. Got to do do all those things. But you know what he was learning? If he was an honest Jew, I'm going to do all these things. Don't get all this right. And what it was was it was a schoolmaster teaching him. He was hopeless. That only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. There is no other way. There is no other possibility. Only Jesus can save you. You needed salvation, and it was impossible apart from Him. 
Right? Now, that makes very good sense when we see it as Christians. Don't miss it, though, and think, well, now that I'm saved, I will earn his love. I will make him love me more than he loves all the rest of you because I'm going to be the right kind of person. Now, hang on a minute. If you hadn't got a hope to start off with, and you came to Christ on your knees through the lower door of the cross, where are you going now? Are you going to you know, you know, stretch your stuff and show your muscle and now be Mr. Spiritual or Mrs. Spiritual and show how good you can be and earn his love above all the rest? You can't. Listen, his interest in you is because he would love. You can't earn it. It's impossible. And you can't lose it. God coming to earth in human form is about turning the paradise lost in Genesis into the paradise regained of Revelation, even though none of us deserve it. Nobody's going to heaven and going to say, this is where I belong. I deserve this. Nobody. You know, that's a totally foreign thought to Scripture. Uh, It's about abolishing our death sentence, even though we have nothing to warrant eternal life in relationship with God. Nothing to warrant eternal life. Nothing in us. The relational meaning of the incarnation is that you and I are unconditionally loved and accepted. Jesus came down and showed we're unconditionally loved and accepted. All of us, completely unconditionally loved and accepted. Now, let me throw out a question to you here. Uh, Let's kind of work through this one. What about lost people and saved people? Does he love saved people more than he loves lost people? Think. I think he does. Right? I think he loves his children more than he loves the lost. That, not to say that he doesn't love the lost, but I think he loves his children more than he loves the lost. I think there's a relationship that changes it. It's different. Right? We've been adopted. We're part of the family. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a difference there. It's not based upon what we've done. It's based upon what he did with us, and we received him as Savior, and now we're his children, so I think he loves us more. I think that that's realistic. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love the lost, because he does love the lost. Right? But he loves us as his children. It's, I suppose it's a different relational love, because we're his children. Right? But he still loves the lost. He loves the lost with a passion. We're inviting people out for Sunday morning. Right? We're trying to get people into the church to hear the gospel. Right? The work of God, God loves that. Now, because he wants to reach them. He wants to draw them to himself. He loves them. Now, there will come a moment when they will step beyond his love. There will come a moment when judgment falls and, and, and they've stepped now beyond his love. And it, it's over. It's finished then. But until that moment, he's going to love them. He's going to want to draw them to him. And he asks us to be a part of that with him. But we need to understand that why he came was that we are unconditionally loved and accepted. No conditions on it. Acceptance without conditions creates a secure relationship. Now think about that. Isn't that what you've wanted all your life? Isn't that what you've wanted all your life? Accept you without conditions. You know, you've got got this problem and you've got that problem and you've got... But they find out about them and they accept you anyway. They're not looking at you and saying to you, you know, well, I didn't really understand this. I didn't really know this. You know, going into marriage today, um, they, they say, 
The young person going into a marriage today has a 40 to 50% chance of it, of spinning out of it again. Worldwide figure. Now, what happens there is two people come together and they get to know each other and they say, I don't like it. And they want to walk away from each other. Now, an unconditional relationship creates love me because I'm good. Expose the Samaritan woman's sin. This is really helpful, right? Uh, he engaged her in conversation without judgment or condemnation. Remember he talked to her at the well that time? And, he, and, and, and you hear him going down through it and he talks to her at the well and he, and he explains to her and he asks her questions and he engages her and um, <clears throat> then he says to her, go get your husband. Have a husband. And he says, yeah, I know. You've had five and the one you've got right now is not your husband, is he? No condemnation. Listen, he could have stuck her to life at the well. He didn't. <clears throat> and as a result, the woman welcomed truth when Jesus shared it and her life was changed. Let me say this. I believe that every time Jesus witnessed, there was love involved in it. Every single time. You see him with Nicodemus. I mean, there's love. Nicodemus is hiding out. He's afraid. And, um, but Jesus is reaching out to him and drawing him to him. The woman at the well. Uh, Jesus, the, the, the different ones of the apostles and that, that he drew to himself. Even in Matthew 23, when he scorches the Pharisees. I think that was love. Because these were hardened men of religion. They had the goods. They knew. So that when Jesus was witnessing to them and scorching them, he was trying to shake them up. So that they would listen to the truth and be saved. But I think he always was loving in his witness. He was always, because he's drawing people with love. And understand this too. That, you know, they, 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 they say you get... Uh, honey is better to draw with than vinegar. And when it comes to drawing some, somebody to God, understand that the love of God has got to be there. Sometimes we'll go through the gospel and we get the hardness of the gospel and we tell them how rotten sinners they are and everything else. And we forget to tell them, but God loves you. And we spend more time hitting them with the hard truth than we do with the glorious deal of God. Now they need the hard truth to understand the love because the love is totally, you know, <clears throat> it's totally overpowering when you consider it in, in the light of the fact that they're sinners. But we miss telling them how much God loves them. And, and you know what we're likely to do too? People irritate us. Sinners irritate us, don't they? And we've told them the gospel three times and they haven't gotten saved yet. And they irritate irritating the fire out of us. You know, so we intend to communicate the irritation. Listen, you're on your own track then. You're not on God's track because God loves them. Now, I'm not saying you don't point out sin to them. But understand that God loves them. If you leave them, not knowing that God loves them, you miss it. Because God draws us to himself with love. You think of it. <clears throat> I mean, when you got saved, did somebody beat you into a pulp? And finally, you know, you said, okay, I'll get saved then. At some point, you realize that though you were a sinner, God loved you. And you wanted it. At some point, you realize, if I flee to him, he'll take care of me. And he did. And always remember that in our witness, we want them to flee to Christ. We don't want to run away from him. He's not condemning them. We better be sure that we're not either. We better be sure that we're not leaving that, that, that sense of condemnation. 
that, that, that they're feeling totally unacceptable because the reality of the gospel is he loves them. And he wants to accept them in the beloved. And we can't pussyfoot with sin. We have to be honest and straight about sin. But don't do the one side and not the other. Because God loves them. <clears throat> Acceptance that identifies <clears throat> with us creates an intimate relationship. <clears throat> and it's about relationship. We're talking all about relationship. Jesus not only accepts us for who we are, he identifies with all that we feel. He, like you, has experienced rejection. Remember, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. You see, of all the people in the world that Jesus could have come to, these were the ones that really should have accepted him. They were his people. They rejected him. He was abandoned by his disciples. Remember, the disciples all fled and left him at the cross. Ever been abandoned? You ever felt abandoned? Misunderstanding. His own followers were constantly misunderstanding him. He was ridiculed at his own trial. Being ridiculed? He was betrayed by a close friend, Judas, who had been with him for three years. So criticism by the religious leaders of his day, they, they criticized him. They tore him down. They destroyed him. They, they sought to um, criticize everything about him. You see, Jesus came to show you that he accepted you, that he loved you. And as a man knows what it feels like. Knows what you feel like. That's not all. He has also experienced human achievement and victories. He knows what it's like to feel loved and accepted. He knows the joy of completing a job well done. Remember, <clears throat> the father said to him, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Uh, he knows the joy of fulfilling his father's will and the victory of conquering what no one else has ever conquered, death. Jesus knows. He understands. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on with you. Right? He accepts you, and he doesn't accept you just in a far distant way. You know, it's not kind of, you know, a signature on a dry sheet in an office somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I accepted him. He knows where you're at. He knows what you feel like. He wants relationship with you. Now look at Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews four, verse fourteen. <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, if that said, which cannot be touched with our infirmities, I'd think it was great. But it doesn't say that. It says he cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Turn it around. It means he can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Right? So how you feel, he can be touched by that he knows what it feels like. You know, I've heard people say, well, God doesn't understand what it is to live in my life. I had one man tell me that, that um, Jesus didn't have a wife or an ex-wife and um, therefore he could never understand him, right? And, you know, he knows exactly what it feels like. He knows exactly what it feels like to be in your circumstance, be dealing with the things you're dealing with. That's but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You are not accepted by some <clears throat> king who sits on a throne far removed from anything that you've ever experienced, who knows what it feels like to interact with people, who knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be hurt. 
He knows what it feels like. He's got a Savior that knows. You can search the world over. Never find someone that understands like him. And of Christian marriages. Dreadful thought. Well, I'm going to tell you they break up. Here's why they break up. They break up because what you have is two people looking to find acceptance from each other. God says, hello? I'm the only one that can give you that. I'm the only one that can give you the level of acceptance you need. I made you for it. And no human being can ever fill that for you. Get that need met. Then you can come into a relationship and you can give something. You've got something to give. Your tank is full. You've got something to give now. And apart from that, you're going to always somebody else to give you what you need. It's impossible. Now that's not optional. A relationship with Jesus is not optional for you. You need to get saved, obviously. But you need it for day-to-day living. Jesus Christ died on the cross not just so you could have an insurance policy and get you to heaven. Died on the cross so that you could enter into relationship with him. And you see, he's not satisfied till he's got you in that relationship with him and he's got you up close. He's not satisfied, I suppose, until you want it as much as he does. So he's constantly putting stumbling blocks in our way to turn us to him. He's constantly pointing out the emptiness of all the empty cisterns of the world so that we'll turn to him. He's constantly letting us come up empty because he wants us to come to him. Come back in Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, God says in, in Jeremiah, my people have committed two wrongs. They have turned from me the fountain of living water and they have made themselves cisterns, dry cisterns that can hold no water, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. And what's he saying? He's saying they've chosen cisterns that are cracked and broken and can't do it, and they've turned away from me, and I'm the fountain of living water. Now, that's what the people of God do again and again and again. That's what you're doing in this room. We're constantly trying to find something somewhere that will satisfy me and turning away from God to do it. It never will. Listen, if the cisterns weren't cracked before God saw them, he would crack them. He would crack them because he's not going to let you get satisfied there. He's not going to let you fulfill in the world what he made you to fulfill in him. It's not going to happen. So, you know what, I think it would be really wise for us to understand this, that, you know, I'm never going to be able to fill it there. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price of my sin so that I could enter into a relationship with him. And I better give myself to that relationship. I better go for that with all my heart. Because there's nothing else that's going to satisfy me. Nothing. You know, we sing the song. Um, all my life long I had wandered. I, I, I had longed for a draft from some cool spring. That bring us back to Jesus. But in our hearts and our lives very often what we do is we live with everything else out there trying to satisfy us and we fail to come to Look, you're born for a relationship. You are loved. You are accepted. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to make your, clean yourself up and get yourself right and get yourself straightened out. And no, come to read the last verse there. Um, Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
that sound like a very attractive proposition? Boldly before the throne of grace that we may find, <clears throat> we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what he wants for you. He's given you this relationship and he wants you to come boldly to him and get the need met. And <clears throat> look, you can spend the next 80 years searching the world over to get that need met and it can only be met in if you have any sense you'll come to him and see it filled in him if not you'll die empty because there's no possible way to fulfill the need that you have to be accepted fire pursue it there that's what he did he put it there so that he could meet it now he meets it abundantly but you've got to stop looking to the things of the world because they can't meet it. They can't. They're never going to be able to do it. No matter what emotion you are feeling, no matter what experience you may be enduring, he can identify with what you're going through and he is there for you. This is the relational relationship. is the mystery of godliness that God was made manifest in the flesh. He came down to deliver you. Not just to deliver you from sin and let you go to heaven and live a dry, thirsty life until you get there. He came down to deliver you from the need of your heart that wants acceptance and to meet the need. All right, any questions? This is great stuff. Deep stuff. This is, this is real stuff. And the more you give yourself to it, listen, the more, the, the more depth and the more joy. And the more you're not sad tonight by accident. You're sad by design. So that you come. All right, then let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your great love for us. Now, Lord, would you bless your people? Lord, would you just be with us tonight and help us and lift us up and show us, Lord, your might and your power. And Lord, show us the joy that you have for us. Lord, we plead.